0: You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Christianity began to claim Easter for its own. No longer was Yostre month associated with pagan rites and festivals. It became associated with the death and resurrection of Christ an entirely new ritual under the same name. And the joys of this new holiday weren't just about claiming the name Easter. They claimed the symbols as well. For many of us, anthropomorphic rabbits, colored eggs, tulip-adorned church sanctuaries. All of these are essential aspects of commemorating our celebration of Jesus' resurrection. Did you ever stop to think, but why, though? Why all these things that are really, for the most part, pagan symbols? There isn't anything inherently biblical about rabbits and eggs. And while flowers get some mention, it's hard to see why Christianity let these symbols persist. Have we been guilty of perpetuating a pagan holiday? There's a real problem here, because if we're giving the, the rituals of paganism a place in the church we're in danger of beginning to trust in the wrong things. The birth of babies, the blooming of flowers, these are good news, but if we stake our redemption on springtime, we're going to be disappointed, people. You can't just start calling something a Christian Holy Day and keep the same old meanings. Eggs need to be transformed into a symbol of baby chicks, or from a symbol of baby chicks, into a symbol of breaking out of a tomb. Tulips need to become a symbol not of growth in spring, but of dying in the ground and being raised up to a new and beautiful life. Bunnies aren't just meant to be bunnies anymore. What they are is a reminder that the gospel needs to multiply across the earth. It would be to your great disappointment. If someone had led you to believe that you were going to go on an Easter egg hunt, that you were going to get all the tokens and treats that come with it, only to find out that people had hidden a bunch of plastic eggs around your house with nothing in them. That's what happens when we fail to fill these symbols with Christ. We can become so enraptured by the the beautiful flowers and the, the colorful plastic eggs like this one that I brought here today. I got this from the children's minister at our church. She was very kind to lend it to me. And these symbols kind of take our attention. They they draw our eye. We associate these with the Christian celebration of Easter, but we fail to fill them with Christ. And maybe by now you've realized that I'm not just talking about a problem with Easter. No, how many empty things have we associated with Christianity without insisting that they be transformed by Jesus Christ? How often do we encounter the gods of fertility and philosophy in our lives, the gods of self-help and success, posing as Christianity and peddling empty promises instead of communicating Christ to us? Yes, far too often, beautiful colored eggs have taken our attention We never bothered to look and see if they had anything inside. Settling for Easter eggs that are empty is not just a problem of this season or holiday. It's not just a problem of our time. It is, in fact, a human problem. Paul recognized that the empty philosophies that were offered to the church at Colossae had a certain allure to them. This is the entire reason he writes the letter of Colossians that we now have today. To help the church realize that empty traditions and philosophies threatened to take the place of Christ. Because they look good. They're colorful and shiny. They make us happy. But they're empty. They're devoid of any real life-changing power. Paul's concern for the church is that they will come to rely more on spiritual powers and on human traditions than they will on Jesus. Specifically, later on in this chapter, at where Ben read for us, Paul says, why do you submit to the regulations do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, according to human precepts and teachings? These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The Colossian Christians were tempted by all kinds of strategies emerging from Greek philosophy and Jewish tradition. They promised holiness. They promised spiritual life, but they could not deliver, and Paul knew this. For all their proximity to real religion, they were of no value stopping the indulgence of the chest. Or of the flesh. They may look effective, they may look righteous, but like tulips and plastic eggs, they are empty and cannot deliver the promise on their own. It's a universal human problem we have, pursuing being raised up, filled up, changed by things that really don't have the power. And this is attributable to the disparity that there is between where humanity is now, where we are now, and what it is we were created to be. It's called the fall for a reason. There is a huge gap between what God intended and where humanity has ended up. We used to have a higher quality of life. Now we've fallen from it. We used to be full, and now or empty. God made us to be happy and holy in relationship with him. And it doesn't take long for us to realize that we have come a long, long way from that. We have inherited not only a self, but a world that does not work right. And you may realize what I'm talking about here. It's original sin. And We desperately search for a way to undo it to raise us back up to where we were, to have happy and holy relationships, but no sugarcoating, no tradition, no philosophy can solve the problem of sin. No, we need more than an empty plastic egg to distract us and make us look prettier. Unless a total transformation takes place, unless we are emptied of our sin and filled With Christ, the colorful exterior symbol is an empty form that will do us no good. And this temptation for the church at Colossae existed in the form of self-denial, of angel worship, spiritual highs, human traditions. Any of those things sound familiar to you? Promises to restore us to the original state we know we're missing out on. Today, we stake our redemption on things that aren't all that different, things like the latest diet and fitness plans, things like the promises and teachings of the Enneagram, the knowledge and the gifts of your favorite podcaster, the success and the self-realization offered to you by higher education. These things aren't evil in and of themselves. Some of them have proven over time to be very effective vehicles of the Gospel in the same way that the Jewish traditions and Greek philosophies were. But training the body without forming the soul, battling your shadow side without finding your true self in Christ, head knowledge without heart transformation, these pursuits fall short when we exclude Jesus from them. When the power of Christ is devoid and all we're left with is an empty shell. More dangerous than any of these traditions, though, I think, is an empty Christianity. Explicitly Christian forms, rituals, doctrines, things like communion, things like forgiveness of sins, things like being a Wesleyan or a Baptist or a Methodist, these things have taken the place of Christ for so, so many Christians. Christianity like this is what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 3, five. Christianity that has the form of godliness while denying the power thereof. If your Christianity cares more about the ideas you know than about how much you love? If it focuses more on rituals or emotional responses than it does on the person those things point toward? If it puts membership in your church above membership in God's church? If it offers you forgiveness without the freedom to overcome? Then your Christianity has been emptied of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that may be hard to hear, but Christianity is not about giving us a set of new plastic shells. It's about filling us with something entirely new. God knows that we don't just need new shells. We need new hearts. We don't just need to be adopted into God's family. We need to know and experience His love. We don't need people to just call us Christians. We need to become like Christ. As much as we like to think we have it figured out, Christians are not exempt from falling into the trust of empty philosophy. Have you settled for just attending church or chapel? Just taking good notes and making sure you implement the three steps that the pastor gave you. Just being forgiven of your sins. Or just going to the altar without realizing that in these things, Jesus wants to meet you personally. That He wants to transform you and do a work in your heart. This is Paul's answer to prevent the church of Colossae from straying into emptiness. And it is the good news for us today that in the face of the empty forms of this world, there is fullness to be found in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, verse 9, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So Paul's setting up a purposeful contrast for us human thoughts, traditions, philosophies. Whole 30, the Enneagram. They can't offer what Jesus does. No, only Christ can offer the fullness of deity. Paul goes on to say that you have been filled in Him who is the head and rule and authority. Jesus is the answer to the emptiness of your soul. As God, Jesus is the only one with the power to enable us to start over and be restored to the fullness of life God originally intended. The life that we ruin by sin. God became human so that humans could become the image of God they were always meant to be. Don't just take my word for it. Hear what Paul says. That in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So rather than use this positive image of new life, Paul. Focuses first on the negative image, the language of circumcision. And in explaining the mighty work of God, Paul says that there's a spiritual circumcision that takes place. And while circumcision is not a familiar ritual for us, it was a culture-defining one for Paul. There's not enough time to go into all the symbolism of it, but the point is that in the same way that Jewish men were marked as consecrated to God and separate from the pagan ways of their neighbors through a surgical procedure so are those who are in Christ. When we receive the fullness of Christ, a spiritual surgery takes place in our hearts, cutting away what Paul refers to as the body of sin. Whatever is earthly, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscenity, and lying, these are removed, but it doesn't mean we don't still feel their effects. After our initial spiritual circumcision, there is still a long way to go before the sin that has influenced our thinking, our relationships, and our habits is fully done away with. But this is the crucial beginning work of sanctification. God circumcising your heart. Only after sin has been cut away from its position of power in our hearts can we actually begin to start making progress on the spiritual journey. Only after this work takes place can traditions and teachings be any good. We need our hearts to be circumcised. We need to be born again as spiritual infants if we are ever going to grow into the fully formed humans that God wants us to become. And it's this positive side that... The Apostle John actually takes up quite a bit. He attests to a new birth. Something new rather than the death of the old. He talks about being born again or born of God rather than the heart being circumcised. And John Wesley, one of my favorite theologians, latches onto to this image, talking about God's regenerating work in the life of all believers in a series of sermons that use this language of new birth. Once we recognize that due to original sin we have emptied ourselves of the moral image of God. When we are born we do not have the life we're supposed to. And we continue to look for empty things to refill us. The answer however is clear, we need deliverance not only from the guilt of our sins but from the power it holds in our lives. We need to be forgiven and filled. Like an Easter egg covered in a new, beautiful exterior, but filled with God's goodness. So when the person receives Christ, two, not one, things take place. In Colossians 2, Paul is clear, the cross accomplishes two crucial things for us, and we need both if we are going to experience the fullness of life. Paul writes that we are made alive in Christ and our sins are forgiven. Jesus has not only canceled the record of debt which He set aside nailing to the cross. That's what we would call justification. He has also disarmed the rulers and authorities triumphing over them, giving us new life. When we begin the Christian life, we're not only saved from God's wrath against sin, we are also delivered from the power of this world that had formerly enslaved us. The circumcision of the heart means that sin no longer needs to rule your life. It has been disarmed and put to open shame. This dual nature of the initial work of Christ is attested to and promised throughout Scripture. The prophet Ezekiel offers this hope in Ezekiel 36, where the Lord announces that a day is coming when I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be clean. I will cleanse you of all your impurities and all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws." Not only does God promise to cleanse and to forgive our sins, He also guarantees you a new heart and a new spirit. A heart awakened to His love. A spirit able to obey His commands. That is the promise of the Gospel. How long have you been following Jesus without recognizing both of the gifts He gives to all who receive Him. How long have you been trusting in a tradition or a set of principles instead of inviting Jesus to fill you? If you have been baptized, that symbol represented you going down into death along with Christ and being raised to new life in Him. In a sense, you re-entered the waters of the womb. You were born again, this time not with sin, on the throne of your heart, but with Christ on the throne. Do you realize that this is what He's done for you? Don't despair if you haven't. Be encouraged. God is able to do more than you initially realized. So receive it. Sin wants to reign in you and the devil wants you to despair and guilt, but Jesus has forgiven you and triumphed over the powers of the world so that you could live in the fullness of freedom. Don't keep settling for empty strategies. Don't keep picking up empty shells. Don't continue in forms of godliness that lack the fullness of God's power. Don't stop halfway in the Christian life if a human tradition, Christian or otherwise, has become the linchpin of your salvation you are settling for emptiness when Christ wants to fill you up. Will you settle for an Easter that is empty of God's regenerating power? Content to enjoy the pretty symbols, the promise of forgiveness, without ever experiencing a fullness that God wants to give? Don't settle for the gods of this world when the fullness of divinity wants to live inside you. Stop trusting in the shell of the Gospel and the adornments of paganism. Let God fill you with something new. Take the words of Jesus seriously. You must be born again. Philosophies and traditions will do you no good until your heart has been filled with the fullness of Christ. If you know that you have been born again, don't lose sight of it. When you encounter a new tradition or philosophy, don't let it take the place of Christ. Keep Him at the center. But today, if you have forgotten about the new life that Christ has given you, maybe it's the time to be born again, again. Whether it's the first time or a time of returning, the offer is available to you. The fullness of God wants to fill you to circumcise your heart and to put His Spirit inside you. The promise of Easter is available, new life, through faith in Jesus and what He accomplished in His death and resurrection. Come to Him today and every day and be born again.